Ephesians chapter 6. Praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning. I'm back. Uh, we've been going through what is commonly referred to as the armor of God or the believer's armor. It is yours in Christ Jesus. When, he, when you are born again, instantly you have access to all the armaments that are in the armory that sons and daughters of God have. They are yours. Amen. You're like, why do I want to wear armor? I want to wear shorts. <laughs> Don't, I mean, no, I'm sorry, not right now. I'm thinking the last few days we've had have been awesome. But in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. As Paul's wrapping up his letter to the Ephesians, this precious church in Ephesus, his final point that he wants to to talk to them about, he says, finally, this is kind of all building up to it, chapters 1 through 3, explaining who they are in Christ Jesus, their position in Christ, and the rest of the chapters, 4 through 6, basically telling them what they're to do in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he says, in all this stuff, do you know that you cannot do it in your own strength? You're not going to win. You don't have the power within yourself. You need to put on the full armor of God. You need to be strong in His power, His might. How many of you have been getting your hindquarters handed to you the past couple weeks by the enemy or whatever? Anyone? Yes. We've got to put on the full armor of God. I woke up this morning and I just felt like all was lost. It's been happening because we start to push out as a church. Uh, the enemy's going to start hitting us. And if he can't hit us relationally, if he can't hit us uh, physically, if he, he's going to work in the realm of emotion or whatever it is, he's going to try to hit us. And I had to sit there and, and iron my ironless shirt for some reason. That's another frustration. Uh, <laughs> I'd iron my shirt going, because uh, it was wrinkled, I wrinkled it. And, uh, and I was just sitting there, in, and I just, go, you know what? I'm here I am teaching on the Word of God. And I'm talking about these things, and I'm like, oh gosh, everything's all lost. You know, just, I don't know what it is for a few minutes. I'm like, no, that is not truth. And I actually had to start applying what I've been teaching you uh, this morning. So just welcome to the game. But I had to pop on praise music. I had to listen to the song that was in my head. It's an old one. It's a Maranatha hymn. Um, uh, well, a couple of them, but one was uh, Hear the Bells Ringing, They're Singing, second chapter of Acts. You know, he's alive, basically, and, uh, and he is exalted. The king is exalted on high. I will praise him, and I will praise his name, for he is the Lord. Forever, forever his truth shall reign, heaven and earth, exalt in his glorious name. And I just, you know, and I, then I go, no, this is not happening in Romans. I open up the Romans. Who can separate me from the love of God? This feeling... Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And as I started to open up his word and just look on my phone, listen to the thing, ironing, God started to destroy that thing that was happening within me. It's not going to take over the day. It's not going to destroy me. It's not going to take you down and the thing that God wants to do in and through your life this morning. And I've no doubt that that happens in your heart and in your minds every single day as you try to live out your life in Christ Jesus. And the enemy's going to come and he's going to hit you where you have a chink in your armor, whether it's emotionally or physically or relationally or whatever it might be, to get it to where you stop advancing, to where you start to focus on yourself and not his mighty power. Amen? He is powerful. And that is where all our strength is. That is where all our identity is. That's where all our hope is, all on Him, on Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul's saying, finally, you've got to put on the armor as you are living children of God who are living this new life in Christ. Paul wants us to know that, and them to know that we now have engaged in a spiritual war. You are in spiritual war. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you entered into a battle. You've got an enemy named Satan, the devil, who wants to take you out. He can't take away your salvation, but he sure wants to render you 
just totally ineffective for the kingdom. That's what he wants to do. And as Christians, we are commanded, we are expected, we are charged here in Ephesians and other places to make our stand against the devil and his demons and his wickedness that proceeds from his dominion, his power over this world. And it's infiltrated through culture and through uh, whatever you have. It just permeates our society. We as Christians are light and salt in the dark world. We are called, we are charged to make a stand. And the trick that the enemy wants to think of is, is even, yeah, go make your stand today. Do it in your flesh. No, we're to armor up spiritually. Our weapons are spiritual. And in order to do this, we must be strong in the Lord by putting on the full armor of God, which is spiritual in nature because we're fighting that spiritual enemy, the devil and his demons. And so if, if I'm talking to you and saying, hey, we've got a, a force of... of uh, um, of radio waves coming at us. We're not going to go get guns to go fight the radio waves that are coming. That does nothing in that kind of warfare. We would get tinfoil and things like that. But I'm just, <laughs> come on, I'm getting off track here. But you know what I'm saying? We tend to think that the things that man does is going to work in their spiritual realm. It doesn't. And what the enemy wants us to do is to think that we have no armor, that we have no weapons, and that we're defenseless in this fight against the enemy. And Paul's saying, quite the contrary. I've been talking to you for chapter after chapter saying, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. You're seated with him. All the riches, the arsenal, all the things are at your disposal because you're his kid. You've just got to go get it and put it on. And by the way, how often do you have to put it on? Every day. All the time. All the time, more accurately. And so, we've got to put on the armor of God, verse 14 through 16. Again, I'm recapping. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's talking about the spiritual attitude we have, that we're now living according to the truth found in the word of God. In other words, we have it buckled around our waist. That is who we are. It's a, it's a frame of reference in our mind. It's an attitude. I live according to the truth. That is who I am. And we take all the loose ends of our lives and we tuck it into that truth. We, we shore it up. We put it on. Amen? And that's what he's saying. Then the breastplate of, of righteousness, which is holy living, not just actually thinking about it. I'm going to live according to truth, but actually doing it. And that protects our hearts. That protects our minds and our thinking because the enemy's going to come up and when he attacks us, he gets, says he's going to accuse us. He's going to start talking to us about how we live and what we do. We know Jesus defends us, but I tell you what, it is really hard to have that warrior mindset when you know you're, not, you're living contrary to what the Lord has already said. I'm just, just flat out. Anyone? Yeah, it is. And so and we also have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I believe this is taking our stand. This is defensive. We're to take our stand on the surety of the fact that we have peace with God. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. I have peace with God. Do you know you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? He's not your enemy anymore. He's on your side. Who can be against you? Paul goes over and over these things. That's important to know because the enemy's going to go, God's going to, he's against you. He's going to get you. No, I have surety. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know what he's done for me. I am a friend of God. Amen? More importantly, he is, he is my friend. <laughs> you know, awesome. But in, in addition to this, verse 16, it says, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And briefly, this is believing God above all the lies and the temptations that the enemy shoots at us trying to get us inflamed with a passion or a lust or to go off and just to, to doubt the word of God and to accept a shortcut. We talked about the shortcuts that Satan offered Jesus in temptation. He does that with us every day. It's just getting us to believe that our own way is the best way and God's way is not. That's what he does. And so he shoots arrows at us. 
We put the shield of faith. No, we believe in what God says above what the enemy says. And last week, the helmet of salvation. This is trusting fully in the sure hope of salvation that awaits us. This isn't uh, that we were saved. It's not that we're being saved, but the, the sure hope of salvation as we parallel that verse with, I think it was Colossians or Thessalonians. I couldn't remember quite correctly. But God is coming for us. There will be a day. We are absolutely 100%. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin is gone. Nailed to the cross. You were saved. And yet the scripture teaches you are being saved. What does that mean? From the presence of sin, from, um, from the power of sin in our lives. As we walk with Christ and we put off the whole old life, we're learning now to walk like children in the new kingdom. And the power of sin is falling off like weights in our lives as we put on Christ Jesus. But that is not what he's talking about. He's talking about the hope of salvation that we are to know that at the end, when it's all said and done, we win. He's coming to get us. With either if we check out or he says, hey, come up here, or whatever your theology is, he's going to come touch down. He's going to come get you. You're going to be with him. And that that day, the power of sin in our lives is not going to be anymore, but the presence of sin will be eradicated. And that, I long for that. We're going to get a new body. Matt 2.0, U 2.0. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to have to have have this pull of the world on our flesh anymore no flesh involved we just live according to the spirit it's just awesome can't wait for that so now verse 17 after the latter half of verse 17 we come to the offensive spiritual weapons we have been given in jesus christ verse 17 says take <coughs> and i'm just going to skip the sword of the spirit which is the word of god in keeping with this analogy, because Paul, obviously, through these things, is, is drawing a picture of the Roman soldiers who were everywhere. They were everywhere in that culture. And Paul's drawing this picture of the things we have in the Spirit with a Roman soldier. That's, that's what he's drawing uh, the, the analogy of. He now goes to the sword of the Spirit. The Roman soldier, in addition to all the previously, previous armor we were just talking about, is now equipped. He's equipped with a sword. How would you like to go into a battle without a sword? Just a shield all day long. Not my, fav- not my best, not, not liking that. But now the word for sword here is makera. I know that will help you this week deeply. And this is the word describing, in addition to all the previously mentioned stuff, it's, it's describing the sword which is used for hand-to-hand combat. The Roman had a short sword. It was used for hand-to-hand combat. This is the same sword that, Mal, uh, Jesus, uh, that Jesus told Peter to put away after he cut off Malchus's ear. This is the same sword that Jesus, uh, uh, that, that Peter said, you know, Jesus was talking to Peter, said, if you, you know, now that you don't have, remember I told you before to go to all these places and you didn't need anything, now if you sell, sell your coat and get a sword. Same, same word for sword, it's the short sword. Everybody would have known it, it's the very short sword that the Romans wore. And they often used this sword when they got close to the enemy and engaged in hand-to-hand combat. They also had broad swords, which were around three to four feet long. They were used with two hands, and those were just used to totally annihilate the enemy, just to cut through anything the enemy had and just go straight through them. But obviously you're left uh, without defense when you do that. But being a sword for hand-to-hand combat, it was both used for defense and offense. And it was used to deflect the incoming blows of an enemy, quite often many more than you would give. However, the object of warfare is not just to be on defense all day long, but to be able to strike at the heart of the enemy and incapacitate them. That's what warfare is about. To kill the enemy. It, it, I know, what, and it's not politically correct. Here we go, it's crazy this morning, I know it. To kill the enemy. The short sword played that vital role in a Roman soldier's arsenal. And so it's important to note, I think this is very important that I was th- as I was thinking this over, that the short sword didn't do the soldier any good if they did not take it up or know how to use it. Correct? 
It didn't do them any good, uh, them any good in the heat of battle to tell the enemy that they were issued a sword with their name printed on it. That they had a sword and it was somewhere at home gathering dust. It didn't do them any good. I got my sword. I have one. I remember I was given to me. It's, it's, it's getting dusty. Uh, where is my sword for crying out loud? Didn't do them any good when they got in the heat of the battle. No, they had to take it up. They had to take it up. They had to sharpen their skills with it and learn to use it correctly and effectively. And the more they did, the more effective they became as a soldier. And the more that they would be able to take their stand against the enemy, the more effective they would be in the objective of battle. The Holy Spirit was saying to the Ephesian believers and is saying to us this morning that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is what you are to do. You are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have been given this perfect weapon by which the Holy Spirit has given us for our perfect defense and our perfect attack in spiritual warfare, and we are to take our stand with this sword. Although we repeat this a lot, I re- you guys, I talk about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. Of course, I'm a Word guy. I teach the Word and all that stuff, so I'm not going to get into great depth. I'm just going to hit certain things this morning. But I think it's important as we look at our vision for a church to glorify God through love and obedience to Jesus Christ, we see that as how, how Jesus did that in John 15. When we look, he says that if your word, if my word abides in you, basically, and you, you basically do what it says and you pray, you're going to bring about much fruit, fruit which glorifies God. In other words, being, having the word of God, taking up the word of God, is one of the ways in which a believer learns and, and, and experiences uh, the power in glorifying God. We can't do it without it, just like we cannot glorify God without prayer. We cannot glorify God without being in fellowship with one another. How do we love one another if we're not around one another? How do we learn to love one another if we don't even know what that looks like? Where do we find out what that looks like? Yes, through each other, but God has given us his word. That's where we go to look at Jesus and how he lived and how he interacted with people what he did with his enemies, what he did with his friends, how he discipled people, all these types of things. So the word is very important. And and, and while I I, I want to talk about those things, and I have talked about those things, and I do, uh, I'm focusing on the warfare aspect this morning. Amen? And so I want us to become familiar once again with this word so that we can use it as God intended to glorify himself as we make our stand in battle. And so the main point Paul is making is that you are in a spiritual war and you have been given spiritual weapons to fight. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And first of all, we need to know what in the world is the Word of God. What's the nature of the Word of God? And so what does it claim to say about itself? That's how you find out what it says about itself. It's really important that we have a a proper understanding about what it says about itself, what it claims to be, and then actually through experience we find out not only that, but it actually trues it is true and teaches us more even along those lines. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, A high view of Scripture is necessary for the believer to be ready and eager to pick it up and use it in every occasion. That's very important. We need to know the word that we've been given. This tr- we can trust it. How many of you ever picked up a gun and it's really rusty and 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 or just the ammunition you put in, and you're like, I don't know if I was, <laughs> what's going on here. A little nervous. How is this loaded? Is this going to blow up in my hand? Is it trustworthy? You need to know that the sword is trustworthy, that it's not going to let you down, that it does what it says it's going to do. It's important. If you doubt the validity of Scripture, you're not going to use it. If you doubt um, its accuracy, you're not going to use it. And so what do you think the enemy's tactic is when you've got this amazing weapon in your hands? It's to get you to say, you don't have anything in your hands. 
just don't pick it up, whatever you do, and don't use it, whatever you do. It's not going to work. Everything it says is false. It was written by a bunch of weirdos, and you can't verify anything, and you just start going down line after line after line after line until you go, yeah, forget that. Okay, let's go have war. That's the enemy's tactic. He wants you to get you to think that what you have been given by God is useless. God wants the opposite. He wants you to know that every word he said is trustworthy. That is why when we teach through Genesis to say, in the beginning God said, what? Let there be light. And what happened? Why? Because he's God. And what he says happens. And so you get to the situation where you're in the New Testament. And Jesus says to a demon, come out of him. What happens to the demon? Why? Because he's God. Because everything he says happens over and over, winds and waves. And it goes down to the spiritual things where he looks at a a, a person who's paralyzed and lowered through the roof they were meeting and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's looking around going, so what? I can't see it. You see, they want to see something happen physical. But when he said, your sins are forgiven, what happened? That guy's sins were forgiven. In church, I've shared it with you before. He could say, go to hell, and guess what would happen? You're going to hell. Nothing can stop it. But he also can say that whoever believes upon me shall not perish, but have eternal life. And guess what happens to those people who believe on Jesus? You have eternal life. Nothing can stop that because he said it, you believe it, it happens. You have a sword in your hand. Powerful, sharp, double-edged. And he wants you to doubt it. We're going to talk about that. But it claims of itself. Psalm 19.7. I'm just going to quickly, Old Testament. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's trustworthy. It's infallible is the Christianese thing. The law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 12, 6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver, purified in a crucible, like gold, refined seven times. Just pure, flawless, good. Proverbs 35 through 6. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. You don't need to add to what he says. It's just, it's there. In the New Testament, it says in 1 John chapter 10, 35, that scripture cannot be set aside. It can't be broken. In Revelation 22, 18 through 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues that are described in the scroll. In verse 19, it says, And if anyone takes away the words uh, from this scroll, the prophecy, God will take away that person from any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll, don't add, don't take away to it. It's perfect. doesn't need to be messed with. So the word of God says of itself that it's infallible, which means everything it affirms is true. Everything it affirms is true. And you can see from some of these verses it claims to be uh, without error, inerrant. And so the Bible is without error. In all that it teaches, it's complete can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's trustworthy. You can trust the word of God. It's sufficient. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Jesus said in John 17, 17, when Jesus was praying for all the believers, he prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What you say is true, God. What God says is true. Of course, the enemy's tactic is to get us to doubt the truthfulness of what God said. That is his thing. That's his mode of operation. Very in the beginning, what did he say to Eve? God said, do not touch that tree, that fruit. You do that, you die. Guess what happens if you touch that tree and eat that fruit? You die. Everything else is good. And Satan comes and he doesn't tell them all about the goodness of everything. Look at all that God's created for you. Look at all the blessings. Look at all the fruit you can eat from. Man, look at all this variety. Look at all this wonder. He doesn't do that. What does he do? Comes to the one thing that God said would bring them harm. 
And he said, no, God's keeping something from you. And he says to Eve, did God really say? And that's what he does in the heart of a believer. Did God really say that? And that's his whole mode of operation. It's lying about the truth. It's to get you not to put your full trust in what he says. He does the same to us because he knows that his kingdom is really important. His kingdom, Satan's kingdom, is built on lies and deception. And the sword we've been given, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is truth. It's true. You see? That's how we fight the enemy in his kingdom with all the lies that he's put out there is with the truth. The weapon has power to tear down spiritual strongholds he has built with deception and lies. That's what we're fighting. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3-5. Again, there's a lot of places we could go, a lot of discussion, but I'm going to keep it narrow, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. This is Paul speaking to the unruly believers of Corinth, whom he loves so much. He does. He goes in verse 3, so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They're not carnal. They're not meaty. It says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons you've been given. So three things, real quickly, are not of this world. In other words, it's spiritual. That means it's not a gun. It's something that only works in spiritual combat, the spiritual realm. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And everybody in the room said, so what? Yeah, amen for us. But I mean, they said, so what? Who can forgive sins? They started doubting, right? But what happens spiritually is that guy, he, his sins were forgiven. It's not of this world the weapons we've been given. They're, they're dealing with the spiritual realm. Secondly, it has divine power. That word divine, divine power, power, is dynatos. Or dynatos, sorry, excuse me. I know that will help you this week. It's where we get dynamite from. It's powerful. It's TNT. Which means it's mighty. They're trying to define that word. It's mighty. It's able. It's powerful. It's strong. The weapons you have are spiritual and they're dynamite. They're able to do what? The third thing, to demolish strongholds. That's what the sword does. It demolishes spiritual strongholds. It has the ability, the mighty power, the divine power to tear down strongholds. The word for strongholds means castle or fortress. A castle or fortress. You are in the business of tearing down strongholds, tearing down castles, tearing down uh, spiritual fortresses, developing it further. What does that look like? Keep reading. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 5, what are those strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The strongholds, listen to this church, this is important. The strongholds, the spiritual fortresses that we are attacking with the word are arguments and pretenses, are arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, that set themselves up against the truth. Arguments and pretenses against the truth. That's what he's saying. You see, the enemy's fortress is built on lies. That's how he ensnares people. 
That's how he captures people. Think about the people you're trying to reach for Jesus. What you are dealing with is a stronghold in their life. There is a system of thought. There are lies that the enemy has enlaced within their thinking, within their minds, their beliefs, their hearts. And he's put that around them. And he's, they've got a fallen nature that agrees with that. And they look out into a world that supports that. God's kingdom is not of this earth. And he's come to invade those thoughts, that thinking, those strongholds, those hearts in the heart of people. And the way he breaks through in the power of the Spirit is with the truth, with the word of God. The enemy knows this. He has no power against the truth. And so he wants to take it out of your hands. And he wants to replace it with American Idol. And he wants to replace it with stupidity. And things that really don't matter for eternity, myself included. I'm not pointing at you, right? He wants to get us more concerned about what's happening with the San Diego Chargers and whether they're moving or staying. And Oh yeah, the Seahawks too. But you know what I'm talking about. He wants us to get us more concerned about these things that don't make a difference. He wants to get our eyes off the power. How many of you are totally ensnared? How many of you feel that power? Just not the ability. And you look at these strongholds and they're powerful. Arguments and pretenses. The word in, in Greek, it's, it's one word, argument and pretense, is, is logomos, and which is a thought. It's an imagination. It's a reckoning. It's a computation, a reasoning, a judgment, a decision. I'm trying to use these words to describe what it means for these arguments that we fight against. They're computations. People take facts that they think, they put them together in, in, in a logical form, and, and they have a belief based upon it. But if the information you're dealing with is lies, what happens? You have great thoughts and great systems and all these things built upon lies. And the word of God comes and takes it out brick by brick and goes, puts, pokes holes in that. And it's foolishness to the world. It is foolishness to those that are perishing because everything around them says what? Obviously, you're insane. Talking to me about the Bible and repentance and Jesus and a little Jewish man 2,000 years ago and... You got professors telling, oh, you can't trust that. When you hear the argument of the world, when you see it, when you feel it come up against you, you know something's wrong, don't you? As a believer in Christ, you know something's wrong. You can feel it in your spirit. And in a weird way, it makes total sense from the world's point of view it fits into the world's philosophy and its thinking and its reasoning and it encapsulates the spirit of the age. You know there's something wrong with it, but it seems so powerful and so persuasive and impenetrable. It's like a fortress. Is that not what we're running up in, in our family members and in our nation and all these other things? Just an impenetrable philosophies, belief systems. And you know, you don't even know where to begin sometimes. And they seem so educated and articulate and confident in their position. They seem empowered. They seem, in fortifi- they seem fortified. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? You experience this in the classroom, at work, with relatives, when you're trying to reach your neighbor. You see it in government, in the media, in entertainment, in music, in culture. It has a fortified thinking that seems impossible to combat. And the truth, you want to know the truth, is that you, each of you who have called upon the name of Jesus, you possess the truth to tear down that sucker. You've got it. God has given you the sword of the Spirit. You have it. It's yours by right You are a son of the king of king, of the Lord of lords. And his word is your word. 
His righteousness is our righteousness. His authority is our authority. The Spirit has given you the sword of the Spirit. It is mighty. It is powerful. It is able to tear down those strongholds. You have to take it up. You have to pick it up. You have to lay hold of it. Not just have one, not just have your name on the cover, but bust it open and feed upon it and let it penetrate your stronghold of your dome. Get into your thinking. Renew your mind as it does mine. Not just read it so to say, yay, check, I've, I've read it. But to read to understand so that the lordship of Jesus Christ would be growing in us. That's why we gather together to be on the Word on Sunday mornings. It's to change our minds and thinkings. Let the Word penetrate us so that it might go through us and penetrate others. That's why you, as brothers and sisters, should be seeking the Lord yourselves and picking up the, the sword daily and, 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 and honing your skills with it. Pick it up, read it, study it daily, make time. Seek to understand it more than fantasy football, more than who's playing what offense, more than, I don't know, ladies, help me. What's going on in your world? More than that. (laughs) The carnal man or woman, they can't understand the word because they don't have the mind of the Lord, but you have the mind of Christ because you have the Spirit of God within you. You must first open up the scriptures so he can do it to you. And this seems to be part of Paul's motive in exhorting 2 Timothy in, in chapter in 2 Timothy 2.15 when he says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're to study the word so that we can rightly divide it, so we can use it properly, so we know when to use the sword and how to use it when we come against strongholds, how many of you feel ill-equipped in that area? You don't even know what to do. Me too sometimes, you know? Brothers and sisters, the people of God, the people that God wants to reach, think about this, the people of, that God wants to reach are entrenched in strongholds. They've got thinking and lies that are the fortification of lies and beliefs that the enemy has fortified around their minds and their hearts. And we have the dynamite to blast them out. We have the calling to blast them out. We have the privilege to blast them out. The enemy wants to think, oh, not me. Yes, you. Because the power is in the sword. The power is in Christ and what he says. He's given us the privilege of yielding it. They don't need pithy little sayings. They need the word of God. The truth of God. Lovingly and boldly delivered to tear down the spiritual strongholds. I met a young man. It was just in passing. It was in a certain circumstance and hardened on the outside. You could just see that that person had been through some serious stuff. And just the look of this person would make you want to run away because you just go, I can't even, I don't even, I'm not equipped, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The Spirit of the Lord just kind of urged me, just provoked at me in my heart to just go up to that guy and start preaching the gospel to him. And I said, you know what? I don't even know you from Adam. I said, it looks like you've been through a lot. Yes, I'm judging you. But you know what? God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save you from all of your sins. And and you know how foolish that sounds from the world? But he just sat there, and you could see that the Spirit just was hitting through that stronghold. No one ever told him probably that that they loved him, that God loved him, and all the things he'd done, that Jesus Christ came to free him from the thing he was experiencing. And we look at that at our shoulder, we go, I can't hit that stronghold. Lies. We have the sword of the Spirit, and we need to know when to use it and how to use it and what to say. We might, like, like Peter, lop off a few ears. Jesus is awesome at putting ears back on. 
Don't be so worried about that. How many times have I, you know, maybe gone overboard or said something with you guys and you guys are going, uh. Maybe today. <laughs> Carrie's all, no, never. <laughs> yes, I'll be judged for those things as a teacher before the Lord of the Scriptures say. But God is so faithful to take even things as, we're, as he's dealing with heart, as he's dealing with motives, as he's dealing with refining us. How do you get better at teaching, teachers? What do you do? You teach. How do you get better at witnessing? You witness. And you find out as you're witnessing, I need more tools. I don't know what I'm talking about. I know I believe it, but gosh, I don't know how to articulate it. And you find you have need. And then the body of Christ comes around you and starts equipping you, hopefully, in these areas. And we go and we fail some more and God shows us more of what we need and his grace is abounding to us. The enemy doesn't even want you to take the first step. People need the word of God. For the word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of the soul into the spirit and the joints of the merit judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. We've been given that sword. We have unsafe people in our lives that need to have the truth penetrated into their lives, dividing the soul and the spirit, letting the word judge the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let it judge. Present it. Give them the sword because you desire them to live. You desire them to walk in truth, not in lies. Amen? Praise God that when we were in the fortifications of our own sinfulness, someone spoke the truth. The Holy Spirit was working on our hearts. Love broke through. Amen? The gospel came through. I'm here to save you. What are you talking, me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Yes, you. I love you fiercely. I love you past all the mess. You see this? This is adequate. It does it. You believed in lies. You're caught up in all this stuff. The enemy's ensnared you. I've come to give you freedom. And he does it. He breaks into our hearts and he frees us. He does it through people. He does it through the church. That's his plan. That's you and me. We've been charged with wielding that sword. Pick up the sword in the spirit and get into the fight. Letting it penetrate your own soul first. That's so important. Let it penetrate you first. And then you go out and penetrate others. Amen? The war that we are in is not only to stand our ground, but it's also to have defense. It's important to know that the word of God and the sword of God, it points people to Jesus who alone can save. That's the role of the word. The truth points people to a savior. In 1 Peter 2.23, we're going to go through this rapidly. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word. You've been born again through the word. You've been born again through the word that says that Jesus died and rose again. In speaking to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 3, Paul told him, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the scriptures point you to a person. They don't save you themselves. Jesus said that. But they point you to a person. They point you to Jesus Christ who spoke those words. The scriptures point us to saving faith in Jesus. And ultimately, this is what we're aiming for. Not just to defend against the enemy like Jesus did in the, in, in when he was tempted and to use the word to defend the enemy on those attacks, but we want to take a stab, <laughs> right? We don't want to sit here in defense all day long. We want to go advance. So we need to know our, our sword. We need to know how to use it. And this is how it works out. And ending here, he goes on in verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The first thing the Word does is it saves. The second thing is it does is, is it goes, it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains. It's a process. Once we're saved, what does the Word do? It teaches us truth. It teaches us truth. Why? Because we've been built on lies. 
because we still need to be renewed in our thinking in the washing of the water of the word. And so the word replaces the old way, way of thinking with a new way of thinking, with truth. How many of you have let the word teach you? How many, is, that a, is that a habit in your life? God wants to make it a daily thing like drinking water. And then it cuts, it breaks down and shatters the sinner or the saint who comes under its power. Rebuking is the word. When the weight of the truth comes and it cuts the heart, Hebrews 4.12, right? The word of God cuts. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with a truth of God that it crushes you? It crushes you? In other words, you're reading it and it's just, you're just nailing, it's honing in on an area of your life and you're just under the weight of the word and you just collapse under it and you go, that's me. Oh God, help. It does that, it rebukes us. It exposes our sinful patterns, our sinful thoughts. This is continual in the life of the believer. This isn't, this isn't one and done, this happens all the time. And then the word corrects. He doesn't leave you just crushed. He corrects you. What does that mean? It means it's like the idea of taking a bone and setting it straight. He brings someone back to uprightness. He heals us. The word heals us. It corrects us. You ever been under a disciplined time with the Lord and then you're reading the word and then all of a sudden you see, that you see it begin to lift as your thinking changes? And as he says, all right, let's go. Let's move beyond this. You've learned this. Let's move. And you, in your heart, you're going, oh, thank you. You see, the Word's doing that. That's the Spirit of God interacting with the heart of uh, what Jesus said. It's, it's connecting with our hearts. It's lifting us back up. And then it trains us. That's the idea of teaching a kid, bringing it to maturity. It's the milk. It's the meat. The Word has a place in the life of the believer. Last thought. If you don't know Jesus this morning, his word to you is surrender. His word to you is surrender to the sword. Let it pierce your heart. Let it expose you for who you are. A sinner. You're among great company here, by the way. Total, absolutely depraved sinner here. That God came and saved. Chief among sinners, I believe. And he came through and he pierced my heart with the word. And as I said, yes, Lord, I was crushed, but then he taught me and he restored me. He saved me. Deal with the short, the, the short sword. Deal with the short sword now. Let it penetrate your heart. Let it penetrate your life. Because the second time when he comes, he's not coming with a short sword, he's coming with a broad sword. The word changes in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, and I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, and hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice with the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Broad sword. Not the tiny, accurate, pin-pricking, cutting between the joints and the marrow, destruction sword. Revelation 19, you skip to the end. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Who is that? Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself, he is dressed in a robe dripped with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. That's us, riding on the white horses and dressed in fine linen. Yeehaw! white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of his fury of the wrath of the Almighty. These are the verses people don't like to read. 
not very popular in our culture. Jesus is coming back. Jesus said, I come to bring a sword. You think I come to bring peace? I've come to bring a sword. He's going to cut up families. He's going to go down. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's the short sword this time. What side are you on? But when he comes back, it will be divided, and he's going to execute his wrath. God uses a very variety of ways of motivating us to repentance. And I believe the church does too. Sometimes it's all love. Come on, let's go. His kindness leads us to repentance. I don't know about you, but some, people, some of us are strong-willed. And a little rod kind of moves us in the right direction. But know that he is all that. He's fully love, fully open-armed, waiting for any heart, longing to pierce your soul with his goodness. But know that if that's rejected, another sword awaits. And that's why we preach the gospel, because we don't want people to experience that second sword. Amen? You have it. Wield it. Go for it. Lord God, we give you this time. We give you this message. It's been kind of long, but it's important. So Lord, I meant to give a short sword sermon, but it was more like a broadsword sermon. And uh, I ask that you would take the truth of this word and penetrate the hearts of your people. Cause us to get in it. Cause us to have a hunger and a thirst for you and what you say and what you think so that when we come against strongholds that we were fearful of before, we would know how to approach them and what to say or what to pray for. And we ask these things, that you might get glory, maximum glory, and that many would be taken out of the flames. We ask this in your name. Amen.